Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. A tangle within, a tangle without. People are entangled in a tangle. Gotama, I ask you this Who can untangle this tangle? The wise one established in virtue, developing concentration and wisdom, that ardent and prudent monk, it is he who disentangles his tangle. Suppose a man wants to walk to the top of a mountain in the fog without a map. By repeatedly stepping Toward the upward incline, he will find himself making steady vertical progress. This is similar to what we do when step by step we embrace the wholesome and askew the unwholesome and find ourselves of progressively purer mind. In either case, at some point the venturer will get stuck and progress will come to a halt. For the hiker, this will happen when he finds himself either in a cave or atop a foothill. For us, on the other hand, this will happen when we find ourselves entangled in our own fixed ways of thinking, perceiving, conceptualizing, and responding. In either case, the venturer will need a map and keen vision to discover what is going on and how to resolve it in order to resume progress to the top. For us, right view is that map, and concentration is the keen eyes that see. Knowledge and vision dispel the fog of ignorance, providing insight into how these samsaric tangles arise. The next three talks outline in a necessarily cursory manner, how we get entangled, and, as a corollary, how we get disentangled. It provides a deeper look at aspects of what we have already encountered under right view. The subject matter is largely human cognition, particularly how we conceptualize or picture the world, in conjunction with affective qualities of mind, such as craving and suffering, that closely adhere to the artifacts of human cognition and that thereby turn our misperceptions into harm and suffering. The focus here will be on what we have already described as the standard 12-link chain of dependent co-arising. Let me say at the outset that sometimes there are modern disagreements about the intricate details of early Buddhist teachings on the mind. This should not surprise us. The teachings are sophisticated, have doubtlessly suffered, at best, small errors in transmission, and have lost much of the cultural and intellectual context 
in which they were originally understood. This should, however, not distress us as much as we might at first suppose. The primary function of the psychological teachings is to provide a map for the exploration of our own experiential world. We naturally make corrections in our understanding as we go along. And even if the understanding of some part has been mistransmitted, such that we end up taking an occasional wrong fork in our experiential thicket, we should nonetheless be able, as we continue to explore, to orient ourselves by means of other features of the landscape. I have, at a couple of points in what follows, taken what is my best estimation of the correct fork in matters of controversy, but in each case I try to let the early texts speak for themselves in preference to any favored later sectarian view. I take responsibility for any errors in my choices. A tour of the twelve links of dependent co-arising. In its linear step-by-step formulation, the conventional 12-link chain of dependent co-arising can appear deceptively simple. In fact, Venerable Ananda was once confused by this and revealed this in a discourse with the Buddha. It's It's amazing, amazing, Lord, it's it's astounding astounding how how deep deep this dependent co-arising is and how deep its appearance, and yet to me it seems as clear as clear can be. Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Deep is this dependent co-arising and deep its appearance. It's because of not understanding and not penetrating this Dhamma that this generation is like a tangled skein, a knotted ball of string, like matted rushes and reeds, and does not go beyond transmigration beyond the plains of deprivation, woe, and bad destinations. When we begin to flesh out the chain with additional causally related factors and consider the dynamics of these factors in cognitive processing, we begin to appreciate the complexity of its snarl. In fact, no other of the major teachings Neither the Four Noble Truths, nor the Five Aggregates, nor the Six Sense Spheres is so comprehensive as the standard chain of dependent co-arising. Dependent co-arising is an entrance into an understanding, one, of the nature of the human dilemma, that is, how we have managed to get ourselves so ensnarled in samsaric existence and at the same time, two of the resolution of that dilemma. That is, how we can weaken or break the chain. It's certainly in reference to this comprehensiveness that the Buddha said, Whoever sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma, and whoever sees the Dhamma sees dependent co-arising. The general theme of the Twelve Links is the conditioned arising of the illusory human identity as something with individual characteristics and needs 
existing in and interacting with the world, caught in sangsara, in short, the conditioned arising of the sense of the self, of me and mine, and of all that entails. Although it is presented as a simple linear chain for expository purposes, the chain actually represents a single thread through a broad network of conditional relations, since each factor is typically conditioned by and conditions many other factors, and its full complexity is revealed as it is fleshed out, for its dynamics actually involves many branches, loops, and overlaps, so that our single thread becomes twisted and knotted with other threads along the way. This is, once again, what the basic 12-linked thread looks like. Ignorance gives rise to formations. Formations give rise to consciousness. Consciousness gives rise to name and form. Name and form gives rise to the sixfold sphere. The sixfold sphere gives rise to contact. Contact gives rise to feeling. Feeling gives rise to craving. Craving gives rise to attachment. Attachment gives rise to becoming. Becoming gives rise to birth. And birth gives rise to this mass of suffering. We've run into most of these factors before. Ignorance is the failure to see the delusive nature of reality as it is. Formations are volitional ways we conceptualize, imagine, or plan things, the building blocks of our delusions. Consciousness is the cognition of things, building interpretations of what we focus on from formations. Name and form is the experiential situation, the objects of the world. The sixfold sphere is the outer reality witnessed through the senses. Contact is the encounter with that outer reality. Feeling is the immediate affective response to this encounter. Craving is the desire for what is contacted. Attachment is the personal identification with objects of craving. Becoming is the consolidation of an identity characterized by its attachments. Birth is the projection of becoming into new lives. And this massive suffering is the experiences at the level of samsara perpetuating itself life after life after life. The perspective of the Twelve Links does not comprehend all of the human mind, but is limited to that which brings about trouble and suffering to the human pathology. For instance, although we learn a lot about the arising of greed, hatred, and delusion, we learn nothing about where kindness, compassion, and generosity come from, though these seem to displace the former as the chain is weakened and collapses. Also, the pathology it exposes has little to do with the actual content of experience and much to do with its architecture. 
Craving, for instance, is just craving regardless of whether it is rooted in childhood deprivation or unrequited love or in too much exposure to TV advertising. Although each instance of craving has content, the pathology results primarily from the causal structure expressed in the various links. We can divide the chain into three segments based on their primary functions. The first six factors, up to and including contact, have to do with cognition or conceptualization that result, among other things, in the fabricated duality of subject and object or of self and others. The next three factors, feeling, craving, and attachment, add to this the affective or emotive aspects of personality. The remaining three factors have to do with consolidation of the personality around a strongly present sense of self, able to propel itself into future existence toward the continuation of suffering that that entails. The purpose of the exposition of dependent co-arising is to bring the faulty structure of human cognition and emotion within the scope of mindfulness, concentration, and the other corrective factors of awakening. Let's take up the links in the chain according to these three segments. The Origins of Subjects and Objects The first half of the chain is a sequence of six cognitive factors that build up a particular way of conceptualizing or understanding the world. Ignorance gives rise to formations, gives rise to consciousness, gives rise to name and form, gives rise to the sixfold sphere, gives rise to contact. Consciousness plays the central role in this chain, and the role of the other factors largely derives from their relation to consciousness. So let's begin there. Consciousness, vijnana, the Pali word for consciousness, is yet another variant of jnana, knowledge. With the prefix we, it means literally knowledge apart or discriminative knowledge. It's the last of the five aggregates. It's generally focused on one thing at a time, but it flits around as interest draws it here and there. Its fundamental function is to cognize, that is, to comprehend the experiential situation conceptually. Its most striking quality is its ability to designate something outside of itself, that is, to be conscious of something, which is an almost magical quality. Indeed, the Buddha compared consciousness to a magic show, creating an imaginary world through props and sleights of hand, but a more modern example makes this point perhaps more direct. A television is a physical object with a flat screen and a speaker. When it's turned on, pixels of changing colors dance around on the screen, and the speaker vibrates audibly. Consciousness tells us this, but it does not stop there. We're suddenly transported into another time and place in which John Wayne is a gunslinger 
whose inner goodness is brought out by a young Quaker woman who cares for him as he recovers from a gunshot wound. And John Wayne is more than a shape on the screen. He is three-dimensional with emotions and plans and is even now standing there behind his horse where we cannot see him. We cry and we laugh in empathy with the characters present in this other time and place. Consciousness has conjured up a whole alternative world simply as an interpretation of flickering pixels and audible vibrations, and it has then transported us there, where we may even forget occasionally that we are at the same time sitting in front of a television munching popcorn. It seems so real. It doesn't matter that this alternative world does not really exist. It becomes part of our experience, and we are conscious of things in that world, just as we can be conscious of the popcorn in our mouths. Consciousness is the master of illusion. The activities going on in the television effectively designate something going on elsewhere, in this case in an entirely fictitious world through the mediation of consciousness. Many kinds of things similarly designate something outside of themselves. A book is a designator. A novel can designate a fictitious world almost as well as a television can. A framed picture can designate a happy family. Words and language, of course, designate all over the place. This talk designates aspects of the Dhamma, but consciousness is what makes designation possible. It's magic. We'll interrupt our tour of the chain of dependent co-arising here. We've discussed the critical factor of consciousness. Next week, we'll fill out the conceptual subchain, the first six factors.